Okay, welcome back everybody to another episode of the Fearless Training Raw Knowledge Podcast. And by this stage, you already know we're talking everything training, nutrition, and lifestyle collectively. And this week, I am back, yes, with another fantastic guest, Mr. Nick Licamelli. How are we, sir? Give us a bit of a, a rundown of where you are and what's going on right now in the world. Yeah, well, first, man, it's an honor to be here. Uh, pleasure, to, pleasure to meet you. Thank you for reaching out. And it, it never ceases to amaze me that in the time we live in that I could stand in front of a piece of plastic and you can stand in front of a piece, a piece of plastic on opposite sides of the world and we can have these conversations. So uh, awesome to be here and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Uh, so who am I? Um, um, like you said, um, my name is Nick Licamelli. I am a physical therapist and I work with uh, 3DMJ. I'm the injury reduction and management specialist with 3DMJ. Um, I live in the United States and I am the director of an outpatient physical therapy and occupational therapy uh, clinic. That's my full-time job. And then I do online uh, consulting with athletes. Um, I'm also a competitive natural bodybuilder. So that's always important. I think when having these conversations with athletes is that we have some experience in, you know, in, in the things that we're talking about, but I guess I should have started with my why, but my why is, is pretty much to um, improve quality of life and inspire healthy living. And I think that comes with a lot of what we're going to talk about here, continued learning, um, trying to be a role model of myself and just kind of help people uh, learn as much as they can about their bodies and just kind of enjoy their time lifting things and exercising and staying healthy while, while, while we're here uh, to, uh, to kind of make this place better than, than, than before we were here. Yeah, 100%. And a lot of points that definitely resonate with me. And I know a lot of the Liz listeners too. And for those who are only listening, he's also got some fantastic facial hair. So if you want to watch, get onto YouTube too. <laughs> but Nick, I'm, I'm sure we'll delve through a lot of those topics. I know I've got some specific questions, but I think to build a bit of a picture for the audience as well, because I think it's important with the background and I know you've given us a bit of a synopsis, but perhaps talk us through based on obviously what's gone on at the moment. You know, we don't want to get too downwind with, with COVID, but it is obviously um, a salient point. What is your day-to-day -day looking like now versus beforehand? And what are the main changes apart from perhaps some of the obvious and, and build us a bit of a sort of, I guess, a picture of what your a day in the life looks like? And then I'd love to get into some more key questions uh, on your background and a couple of sort of, I guess, checkpoints along your career so far to, to really delve into some information that people are going to find applicable. Sure. Yeah. Great question. So, my my day to day now is a bit different than it was a few months ago, which was a bit different a few months ago from that. Uh, my day to day now is um, so I work uh, in in the clinic, like I said. Right now we are uh, back to basically our full capacity. We have different things set in place that we spread the tables out. Everyone is wearing masks. We're sanitizing everything up and down getting it professionally cleaned weekly. So different, you know, different operational things like that. Um, but uh, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, I'm working a full day. And then Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'm working a half day in the clinic and then doing telehealth um, for, for the company uh, on the second half of Tuesday and Thursday. Um, 
which wasn't the case in the heart of the pandemic. In the heart of the pandemic, at the worst uh, in our area, I was 100% telehealth. I was working from home, had a full caseload Monday through Friday. Um, so it definitely changed and it was definitely a transition phase for everyone. We had to furlough 80% of our staff. So that was a very sad day to be a manager. Um, but we managed to bring everyone back at the moment and adjust and kind of take it day by day. So, uh, yeah, we are kind of trying to roll with the punches here. And then, so aside from that, I have my business, um, strength together incorporated. So I was doing telehealth actually before the pandemic hit. Uh, once I started working with 3DMJ, I started getting some experience with helping clients, um, and athletes online. So kind of had some experience in, uh, telehealth before the pandemic, which kind of was nice because then it was a nice, easy transition. And now I'm trying to mentor some, some people and to, to kind of, you know, get more comfortable, comfortable with telehealth because, I mean, I think it is here to stay, especially with this, with the uncertainty of, of COVID. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much my day to day now compared to what it was. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, we're all just trying to stay safe and, and, and improve our reach and help as many people, you know, as, as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate the rundown, Nick. I think it's probably relevant then to, to jump into the telehealth because I know that's one of the questions I have. But just before that, again, to kind of set that up, could you define for us or for the listeners as well, uh, specifically, what what is the role of a physical therapist? And perhaps if there was a moment or if there was something specifically like a protagonist that sort of really gauge your interest into going towards that field. And I don't know if that was always the goal or if there was something that sort of derailed you or railed you onto that pathway. Um, I guess just to define, uh, define a few things and then we'll get into to some, like some more of the hows, if you like. Absolutely. So I'm going to try to make this quick, give the abridged <laughs> version here. Um, so when I was in high school, I volunteered at a physical therapy place. And, uh, because my grandmother was going to this local place. So I went and, and, and met the person there, volunteered, ended up getting a job there as an aide, making hot packs and cold packs. And fast forward, you know, to now, uh, I'm, I'm now a manager in that same company that I volunteered for. So it was kind of cool to kind of start as a volunteer and kind of experience the company and the business and the people and watch everybody grow together. Uh, it was really the like the saying when uh, you know a rising tide raises all ships or something along those lines. Kind of cool to watch some of my upper management grow from just a normal you know staff worker to now they are you know much much uh, much further along. So that was kind of cool. Um, so I got into physical therapy. I kind of got lucky because I didn't really know much about it at the time. I mean, who knows what they want to do when they're eighteen to twenty four years old? <laughs> no one knows what they want to do, right? So. Uh, I chose physical therapy and I liked, I always played sports. I liked working out. So I figured this would be a pretty cool thing. So as I got into it, I just liked it more and more. I mean, my undergrad education was, um, I was a biology major. So I was diving into biology, chemistry, um, physics, all, all, the, all the sciences. And I think it, one of my qualities that I guess is good and, and bad is that I usually when I have a goal and, and I, I see meaning in something, I usually go head in and just kind of 
do the very best that I possibly can. And that was pretty much my story through college. I mean, I was very much focused on my grades and my training. I think I went out once in college. Um, so it was, uh, it was uh, you know, college was, was a learning experience because it taught me how to be autonomous on my own. I lived away at school, so I was able to make my own meals, decide when I wanted to eat, decide when I wanted to lift, decide when I wanted to study. All of a sudden, that was all on me. And I think having the interest in bodybuilding and weightlifting, I think that kept me grounded and kept me structured. Um, because as we know, you know, the, uh, in, I guess, 2008 was when I started college. Back then, things weren't quite as, as woke, so to speak, in the world of bodybuilding and weightlifting. Um, yeah. Eric Helms didn't exist in, 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 the, in the way that he does today and, and other, other great resources. Mm. Um, so things were very much very structured. Had to have your post-workout shake. Had to have brown rice, no white rice. Had to have you know, this, this, and this. So although we know now that there may be better ways to do things, I think that kept me very structured. And that kind of carried over into my, my studies. And so I progressed my learning um, in physical therapy school and kept diving into more about bodybuilding and weightlifting. And going into physical therapy school, I kind of thought I was going to come out being like this super healer. And I was going to go to family parties and I was going to sit down on a chair and my family members would line up one by one telling me their, their pain and their issues. And I would just bang, crack their neck or do a little <laughs> release here. And, 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 and then I would just, they'd be on their way and, and I would, they would be amazed by my, my greatness. Um, so that's how I graduated physical therapy school. And I went out in the world thinking that I was going to take it on. And then you, as you learn more, you learn what you don't know. And uh, so had some great mentors early on. Uh, they were um, doing their best. They were teaching me what they knew to be true and what worked for them for years and years. Uh, and then it wasn't until I felt comfortable to question um, things that I was being taught uh, in the face of new evidence. So as I got into other resources and expanded my reach, I started realizing maybe some of these concepts that I'm being taught or that I was taught in school maybe these are, maybe there's a different way. And then, it, and it's those, those old habits die hard. And right around that time, as I was having this kind of existential crisis in physical therapy, I was having the same thing happen with bodybuilding and weightlifting. I was coming from this super rigid, structured, bro, science-y type of, of trainee. And then I was becoming enlightened by 3DMJ. Uh, I mean, you know, any of the resources that the barbell medicine, Renaissance periodization. I mean, anyone listening to this podcast knows who, who the, you know, who the, the sources are that I'm talking about. So I was going through this transition phase in two things that I was very passionate about, physical therapy, bodybuilding, weightlifting, and uh, it all just kind of happened all at once. And I matured very quickly in all aspects of my life. It really kind of carried over, um, got into a lot of reading, uh, you know, um, reading about, uh, dove into Simon Sinek's work, Stephen Covey, all these type of things. So all those happening at the same time in a young Nick Licamelli's life. So out is now is the product of all of that going on in my mind. I'm still trying to, uh, improve every day and make sense of it all and learn every day. But that's, that's pretty much what got me to 
here. And then as I started um, feeling like I had good information to give, and uh, once I, I started feeling like I could, um, yes, I was a student and yes, I kept learning, but I also felt like there were a lot of people that needed to know what I was, what I was learning and, and needed to know the ways, the mindset that it took to kind of get this information. And that was probably the most important thing, not so much the content, because that's going to change, right? Things always change with new research, but the way and, and the, the mindset behind kind of going through these changes, feeling comfortable being proven wrong, um, those things are all super important no matter what you do um, in life. So um, yeah, it was, it was about that time when I started getting a bit more confident in myself and I started making some videos in my parents' basement when I lived home that no one will ever see, ever, ever. But I just kind of set the camera up, talked into the camera, realized how difficult it was to talk in an empty room to a camera <laughs> about protein timing and whey protein and casein protein. And I had a muscle and fitness magazine open on my desk under me, taking notes so I can keep saying what I wanted to say. Um, but the, uh, the point is that I was, I was going through this process. I was, I was stumbling, I was making mistakes but I knew that I wanted to somehow get this information out, somehow help people. And I, I saw social media and YouTube and, and writing as, as a way to, to do that. So I started writing and writing and writing and just saving articles on my desktop that no one was ever gonna read. I started putting a YouTube video out every Friday that I don't even think my mom watched them. <laughs> so in the beginning there were like, you know, five views and four of them were me because I was trying to edit them and like see you know what's going on um so anyway I was making these videos writing these articles for no one to watch or no one to read and I was just sending them out to different people who I respected and said hey you know can I have any feedback on this are you looking for a guest article a guest blogger on your website and sent them to a couple places didn't hear back from most of them and then uh Tony Genocore, um, actually, um put a message out. His, his wife was pregnant. He was expecting his, his son to be born and asked if anyone would be interested in writing a guest blog. So I said, what the heck? Like, what's one more email to get sent, right? So I sent him a few samples of my writing. He got back to me. And that email that I received back from Tony was the moment that I realized this could be something. This could be the moment right now where I stop, I leave my parents' basement, all my content that I have. And I have this now opportunity to kind of flourish and of course make mistakes, but, but kind of find myself. Mm -hmm. And this was it. I knew that as soon as I got that email, this was a defining moment in my life. And it turned out to be just that I wrote for Tony for about a year or two consistently. And then Andrea from 3DMJ was following Tony. She read one of my articles I was following 3DMJ at the time, liking, commenting on some of their things. So Andrea made the connection that I was also a follower of 3DMJ. She reached out to me, asked if I would like to guest blog for 3DMJ. Of course, after I passed out and got my breath and, and came back and, and was able to answer the email, I said, I would love to be an honor. You guys have changed my life in so many ways. Um, started writing for 3DMJ. And then never forget this. It was December. Uh, right around Christmas time. And Andrea sent me an email asking if I would like to join the team as their uh, injury reduction person. We didn't really have a name for it at the time, mm -hmm. but they have their um, 
nutritionist. They have their mental health uh, professional. And then they were going to bring me on as like this triad of, of kind of this holistic approach to, to strength and physique sport. So that's, um, that gave me the kick in the butt to learn how to help people online learn the legalities of it, learn what, uh, you know, how to do it and, and what to do and different ways to do it, how to, how to relate to people online and stop relying on my hands, so to speak, to treat people and, and, and force me to dive into really understanding people with empathy and understand how much that plays a part in someone's pain, someone's recovery, someone's life, someone's journey. So that gave me the kick in the butt to get into telehealth. And then since then, I've just been been doing it more and more, and 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 here we are today, man. So that's hopefully the not too long drawn out version of of where I've been and, and how I've got, gotten here. <laughs> uh, and of course, I um I can't not mention my wife, who's been with me all the way since I was that volunteer in high school, um, and now we have a beautiful baby girl. Uh, she just turned one, and by the time this comes out, I think it won't be a secret, but we have baby number two on the way. So, uh, yeah, so a lot of great, a lot of great things happening, but I can't tell my journey without mentioning, uh, my two ladies. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and that is something I want to delve into a little bit later. I think it's important to include the family and the people who have been there, um, from the beginning and they are such an integral part of, of everything. And congratulations, uh, Nick on the second. I'm Thank sure you very that'll much. be yeah amazing i look forward to being a father one day myself and yeah we'll definitely delve into that um before the end of the podcast because i do believe it's important because i think a lot of the time people are so focused on just what people do but they don't understand all of the other multifaceted areas that that come together with not just balancing and juggling but cultivating you know an actual lifestyle as well because it's not just you don't wear one hat you wear many hats you know your son father professional etc there's there's many things and sometimes you have to switch between them really fast um but no I, I appreciate that nick it's good i mean this is long form content i encourage people to get detailed with it because i think sometimes it's not just what you say but it's what you've been through and reading between the lines that uncovers more about you and for the listeners, it could be something that you said that you might have not found or thought important, but for that listener, it really connects and resonates with them. So I always encourage people to get detailed where they can. And what I want to talk about to transition from that then is what skill sets, because what I have found or what it would appear to be is that there's this backbone of scientific evidence that a lot of us generally stumble upon in the early days, which, as you said, has a lot of rigidity, has a lot of black and white sort of, this is what we do, this is how we do it, this is not what we do, this is why. But then what we start to do is we start to test that out, and then we start to run into these gray areas. And I'm really interested in the gray areas, and I like to think of the gray areas as more of the anecdotal, more of the hands-on experience, where sometimes it's not written in a textbook, it's not taught necessarily in a seminar and it's something that you generally get from not only doing it yourself but from practitioners who have tried tested it and go hey well this sometimes doesn't make sense but it works and this is why it works and it does have usually elements or slithers of science in there because you know it does have have to but i think it's a constant reminder that scientific evidence was built up by you know experience and just consistent experience over time so there's this sort of like it comes full circle so my question to you is 
what skill sets uh, does it take, in your opinion, to be you know a very competent physical therapist and one that is potent? Because you said something that really hit home with me. Well, there was a few things, but one of them was, you know, you said that you thought that you were going to be this almost like Jesus-like figure where people would line up and you would heal them. And I also thought being on the opposite side of that when I was younger. Uh, fortunately, I didn't have too many injuries, but I had to see a physio once or twice that there would be these magic things that they would do and they would just push here and snap there. And it was the same with psychologists. I thought they had these magic tools that would be like, cool, you're going to do this and do that, or I'm going to hypnotize you. And sure enough, half the time, it's just really good communication and, you know, running through different, you know, skill sets and ranges of motion. So what are some of the skill sets that you believe you need to be a good physical therapist and then in person, and then we'll perhaps transition on to what that looks like and how that correlates to telehealth because they obviously imagine the observational skills have got to be huge, but there's so many gray areas with this. And I'm speaking for a lot of the audience here. We're like, oh, I've, or I've been to a physio and one time I got told this and one time I got told that. And I think to be fair to physical therapists, a lot of the time people don't actually do the rehab work. So I'm like, guys, like you can't just do it once. Like <laughs> you've kind of got to do the homework, but I'll let you speak to that. And then we'll get a little bit more specific. Okay. Yeah. So a lot, a lot, a lot of good stuff in there. Um, first of all, I appreciate you uh, comparing me to Jesus. That's not for me to say. That's for other people to say. So I appreciate that. Uh, I'll take that compliment. I know you mentioned <laughs> my facial hair, but it's uh, you know. Uh, yeah, I, you just I, need it, the long hair. I need the long hair. You're too kind with my facial hair. I definitely could use some. Uh, There's a little patchy, but uh, yeah, um, yeah. So it's a great question. I think. One of the great the greatest skills that that a physical therapist can have is empathy, and and just a, a a growth mindset and the ability to not be married to a certain concept, because something like physical therapy or any science for that matter is always changing, and if you become the um, you know the manipulation guy. Well, manipulation meaning like spinal manipulation, not like like uh, verbal mm. manipulation. Um, mm. Or you become like the uh, the the the, the bone cracker, the bone cracker, or like the hip strengthening guy, or like you patent like a certain like device that trains a certain muscle. Like then you're married to that concept, and mm. Mm. it may be more difficult to to stray away from that, right? Um, so. I think keeping an open mind and and um, and showing uh, empathy toward patients is probably the biggest, um, the the most the, the 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 most important skill that a physical therapist can have. Um, not unlike regular life, and to be a good husband, to be a good son, to be a good brother, to be a good friend, and that really speaks to how closely related. Uh, this is to real life. I mean, it's just a relationship you have to build with the patient. Um, like we said, we are not, I'm not a mechanic here to fix you. We're going to be on this journey together. We're going to dive into your situation together. I'm going to guide you, but you're going to have to do this yourself. And, and it's about giving independence to the patient rather than dependent, uh, you know, creating dependency. And, and that's what I try to stray away from the the moment I start to feel like the patient is dependent on me or my touch or anything like that, I try to move the conversation to showing them like, you know, 
All I did was show you this. All I did was point you a little bit this way and you did the exercise. Like you are the one who's loading your tissue. So that's great. You should be proud of yourself. And I always make sure that they know, um, you know, another good, good quality of a physical therapist is that you always keep the, the end goal in mind, which is for that patient to be independent when they leave you. Mm. So anything that we do, anything that I do with a patient, I like to bring in the, the big picture. So I like to say, you know, there's these exercises are pretty basic right now, but it's a place to start. And you will always have these exercises as a tool in your toolbox if this pain should ever flare up. It's my goal to give you these tools to teach you about yourself a little bit so that if it does flare up in the future, which it may, and then we have the conversation that pain is, is somewhat normal for people to feel, you know, it's like hunger and thirst, like pain is just a thing that people feel. If you do happen to feel pain in the future, at least you know that you've been through it and you've conquered and you've overcome it and you have these tools that you used in the past to overcome it. So at least you can try that on your own. If it goes away, great. If it doesn't and it's stubborn and it's lingering, then you can give me a call and we can revisit it. But it's my goal that what I'm showing you today will have some sort of benefit down the road. And that's the best thing that I could possibly hear from someone, you know, feedback wise is, is down the road. If they say, hey, you know, it, I, it uh, flared up a little bit here, but all I did was I just changed my foot position on the squat or like I ended up just doing a box squat for, for two weeks. And then, I, then I went right back into my normal squatting and it felt pretty good beautiful. Like that is, that is, that's my goal right there is to help people feel more confident in in themselves. Um, you know, when it comes to pain, uh, pain and, and, uh, and injury. Um, the, the other thing that you mentioned in there, which, which I actually liked was about how sometimes there's like that gray area and what we see and, or read in the research, uh, sometimes things work, but they don't always, match up with the research and it's like, well, why does that happen? So one of the examples that I, well, two examples is, uh, so let's take um, hip strengthening for knee pain. So there we were taught heavily uh, in school and by, you know, my er er early mentors that focusing on hip strengthening was good for things like patellofemoral pain or, or pain in the front of your knee. And there was some, you know, evidence that showed that and supported that. And then, so then right there, we have this idea that hip strengthening improves knee pain. Now, as a profession, we have to now interpret that. So we interpret it as, well, when we strengthen the hip, that will create less internal rotation at the femur, which then will create less rotation at the knee. And then maybe prevents some pronation at the foot. So maybe all of these things are what's causing knee pain. But now if we take a step back and look at some more recent research, we find that a general strengthening program that is loaded correctly and and compared to a hip strengthening program gets the same benefit. So all those years that we were taught hip strengthening, you have to isolate the hip muscles for knee pain. It wasn't about what we were isolating, it was just exercise and it was load. And it was that that was creating the benefit. It wasn't so much the muscle that we were isolating. So now we have this new information. Hip strengthening isn't useless. It, 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 has, it has utility, but we know that 
it's more load. That's, that's the important thing. It's more um, squatting and, and hinging at the hip and, and just doing a general strengthening program that is good for that anterior type knee pain. So now we have to rethink all those narratives that we came up with. Now, is it the rotation at the knee that's causing that? Or is it the, you know, the amount of pronation? Because, um, you know, they have studies where they, they would completely knock out the hip abductors. They'll, they would kind of uh, shut them off and then measure the angle of the knee and, and, and different uh, valgus angles and things like that. And what we find is that it's not always, not always correlated. Like hip strength doesn't always equal, you know, doesn't always improve or, or, or worsen the valgus angle. And people have all different kinds of angles at their knees and some have pain and some don't. Some people pronate at their foot, some people don't. So now we have all these questions floating around. And, um, and that's just another, it's just a good example of, of how sometimes what the research shows uh, can kind of cause these narratives to happen and kind of trickle down into us. But then if we keep an open mind and we don't become so, so married to a certain concept, then we can be enlightened and then we can say, okay, now this is another way of looking at that same thing. Um, another quick, very quick example is something like a spinal manipulation. So uh, spinal ma manipulation 100% improves pain, improves range of motion. Um, what we don't know is why it does that. Um, we know that it's not physically like, like moving anything. We're not physically changing the structure of anybody. Thank God we can't do that, right? We don't want to be able to move someone's skeleton with our hands. Um, but we know that it works and we know that it works in the short term. So for me, as long as I explain that narrative to a patient and I say, look, um, a manipulation can help with some pain in the short term, it's probably not going to help much in the long term. What's going to help in the long term is progressive loading and strengthening. Um, that's what's going to do it in the long term. Um, however, if this manipulation that takes 1.75 seconds to do, uh, if that can help decrease your pain, that may allow us to do more strengthening. Uh, as long as we explain it like that. Um, so for me, something like manipulation, even though there may not be any long-term benefit for me anecdotally and practically and when the rubber meets the road in the clinic if someone comes in holding their back and hobbling in and i can change that in two seconds i'll do it every time right i mean it's it's not it's not a waste of time i'm not spending a half hour doing some kind of crystal uh you know treatment to them where when we could be loading them and squatting and deadlifting and hinging at the hip um so that's just another way of kind of, you know, saying, okay, this is something that may not have much long-term utility and it may just be a short-term relief and we don't really know why it works, but we know that it works. So am I just going to throw it out because I'm evidence-based and I don't want to do any of that stuff or do I keep it in the back of my mind and just think about the way that I'm explaining it to my patients? Um, so just, those are just two kind of quick examples of some of those gray areas and why it's important to always keep an open mind and don't get too too much to one side or too mm. or married to a certain concept yeah you, you've answered a couple well, you sort of touched base on a couple of other things and answered a few other questions i had and i want to sort of delve into those a little bit deeper why we're on the the topic well, the first one is and please do give real life examples because they're the best um, because people can connect to them i know a lot of people have fear of going to physical therapists or certain practitioners and clinicians just based on what they think again it's this perception of always going to 
crack my bones and all this. It's much more than that. But I'm interested to know, and I know a lot of other people are as well, when you do manipulation or you actually do sort of release, what what is actually happening mechanistically and how does that actually release pain um, by, I don't know whether it's releasing certain joints or muscle tension or spasms. I understand a little bit of it, but obviously not to the depth that you do. I use a real life example and perhaps you can build on this. So many years ago now, I was doing a dumbbell incline bench press, nothing crazy. And I remember um, my, something in my back went, a muscle. And I thought someone had like stabbed me in the back. Like it was that sharp. It was that aggressive. And I was like, what? how have I done this? I'm, I'm working the, you know, the antagonist muscle, or sorry, the agonist muscle here. Like I'm not working my back really. It's supporting me. I dropped the dumbbells down. I was like, wow. And I was like in a lot of pain. It was very sharp stabbing. And I went to one of my friends who was a physio at the time and he explained it and I'm not going to be able to use the exact jargon of words, but he said something along the lines of, you know, yes, you may have got unlucky or it was something that was going to happen. You might've strained it in another movement and that was the straw. You might've flexed or, you know, created a bit of torsion. He says, and what's happened, he said, off the spine, you've got different elements that sort of come off and it's obviously near the nervous system where all the nerves run. And he says, and the muscles around it have spasmed and tried to protect that area. And he said, so oh, we have to reduce the inflammation, this, that, and the other over time. But just a quick example there, or people who have neck pain, um, and, I, and I don't know if you want to speak to that and, and talk maybe about that a little bit more and why that happens, because I know a lot of my clients are interested in the whys and the whats and the hows, and then why this physical you know, therapy or this manipulation can actually help in the acute short term and perhaps kind of just explaining why uh, in, in layman's terms for people that that does help and um, how you sort of go about that um, and taking the fear out of it because I think a lot of people are a bit skeptical about it although I know that if you're in the hands of a good practitioner it does work and you feel very safe yeah it's a really great question and I think we'll start with just briefly because this, this is the whole podcast in and of itself, just oh, briefly yeah. explaining um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, what pain is and what pain isn't. So what we're starting to, starting to understand about pain is that it doesn't always have to be, uh, doesn't always mean tissue damage. So that's something that I used to think is that if you have pain, uh, you know, pain in, in your back, it must mean that there's something like torn or something stuck or something that like needs to be like fixed or something back there. Um, but what we're finding is that that's not always the case. And we have good, good evidence that shows that um, people can be completely pain-free and have discs popping out of their back and touching nerves and, and they don't even know it. They can have tears in their rotator cuffs and they don't even know it. Um, other people have a little bit of like a herniated disc in their back or a slight tear in their shoulder and they're like incapacitated. Like they have ripping pain down their leg, numbness, tingling. Um, so we know that pain is a funny thing and pain doesn't always equal the extent of, of tissue damage. Uh, pain is more like a, like an alarm system almost. It's the way that our body communicates things to us. Uh, so things like sleep quality, things like stress, things like, um, the way that you structure a, a program. So the, um, the amount of volume, uh, the frequency, the load, the, the way that you're performing the movements for your body, um, all these things kind of are floating around. And, and I don't know if I mentioned stress, but all those things can kind of float around. 
and cause this manifestation of pain. And sometimes it's more of this uh, balance of workload uh, capacity. And real quickly, what that means is if you imagine like a, a seesaw or balancing act here with one side, we have load and the other side we have capacity. And load, I don't mean like load, physical load on the bar. Load is anything we do to our body. So load is how many steps we take in a day. Load is if we help our friend move over the weekend. Load is sets, reps, uh, weight. Everything we physically do to our bodies go on load. And capacity is this ability to recover from that. And what builds capacity is things like sleep, stress management, proper recovery, nutrition, hydration, so these two things are always trying to balance themselves out. So in an ideal world, you would increase load slightly and then capacity would adapt. And then you would increase load slightly and then capacity would adapt. That never happens in, in real life, right? Because there's always uh, other things that, that kind of affect this, this balance. So if, um, you know, say for example, you push it a little bit and, and you increase load, but then you oh say, I don't know, hypothetically speaking, say you have a new baby at some point and, uh, you know, like 13 months ago and, um, and maybe your sleep quality isn't, isn't at, like it isn't what it was. So then your capacity drops down, but your load is going up, right? So then now we're in this red zone of, okay, now we may be at risk of developing some of these things. Um, very rarely what I find is that Usually it's not like the case that, that you said where it's like a bang, like a one time, like that was when it happened. Usually it's like, oh, I felt something, but then it went away. And then it's like, ah, two days later and oh, eh, it'll probably go away. And then it just kind of builds like insidiously and just kind of builds to be this, this, this pain. Um, mm -hmm. So, so it's, it's important to kind of understand that that pain is not always tissue damage. It's kind of sometimes more nuanced. Uh, than that. And that's one of the reasons why I rarely um, recommend taking time completely off from training. Uh, if there is an injury, if there is pain, because if you imagine this, this seesaw here, this balancing act, uh, if you drop load to zero to ground level, capacity is going to just slowly meet load. It's not going to just stay, stay up where it was. It's going to go back down to load to, to meet it. So now you're both going to be at ground zero. And then when you are ready to go back into training, you don't really know where to go because it's kind of like this guessing game of how much to push it, how little to push it, where's capacity at. So for me, I kind of take an opposite approach where if, if people are functioning, say, you know, up, up, if, I'm, if you're watching on YouTube, kind of like up by like my eye level and then um, they get injured um, or they have developed some pain, I just take one step down. Now I'm by my mouth if you can't see me. Mm -hmm. um, and then we kind of hang out here for a little bit. If this is pain-free and this feels good, then capacity is going to drop a little bit. But then once we feel comfortable here, we just take one baby step up and then capacity comes right back up. Maybe we take two steps down and then we take two steps up, right? But at least we're not dropping down to nothing and then playing this guessing game to get back into it. Um, so a little bit of a background on pain, I think, helps the conversation and then the next point, as far as things like manipulation and even foam rolling and massage and like these deep tissue, um, uh, different modalities like that, um, again, all definitely can help in the short term. But what we find is that they have a short window of benefit. So the way that I like to use those things is almost like a warm up. So if you can do some kind of 
foam rolling or, or soft tissue work, if, if you like that sort of thing, at least do it before you get under the bar so that you are rolling that muscle, for example, we'll use a foam roller, uh, for example, here, you roll that muscle um, and then get right into some bodyweight squats or some goblet squats and take advantage of that short-term window. Because the way that we make that short-term window a long-term thing is by progressively loading it within that window. And then our body kind of gets used to that increased range of motion, that decreased pain response. And we kind of get used to that deep squatting, for example, if we're talking about a squat, that deep squatting movement pattern without that restriction. As far as how these things work, it's a good question. I don't think we have a good answer yet. What the, the, the term that you'll hear is like a neurophysiological effect, which basically everything is a neurophysiological effect. <laughs> if I watch a, a, a funny movie on Netflix, it's, it, I get a neurophysiological effect from that. Um, but the, a good metaphor that I like to use is it's almost like, and I didn't come up with this metaphor. There are people much smarter than me who I learned this from, but, um, it's almost like if you are trying to focus, trying to do work and someone in the other room has the radio on like volume five and you're like, gosh, like I just can't concentrate. This is, you know, I wish they would just lower the radio and then they turn it up to 11 and now you have a whole new point of reference. Like now you thought you were distracted before. Now you can't even hear yourself think. And then they turn it back down to, what did I say? Five, mm -hmm. four, they turn it back down to where it was before. Now all of a sudden it's different. Now it seems much quieter. It seems much different than it did the first time around. Um, baseball players uh, use, when I used to play baseball, we use a donut on the bat as we're warming up before we step up to the plate. It's like a little weight. So it's a circle. You put the weight on there and you take some swings with the bat as you're waiting to step up to the plate. When you're ready to go up, you take the weight off the bat. And when you swing that bat, you feel like Superman. Because uh -huh. it just feels yeah. you have this whole new point of reference and you feel like you have so much more power behind this because you turn that radio volume up for a second and then you brought it back down. So as you're foam rolling um, and you kind of find that tender spot and you sit on it, take some deep breaths and let it kind of calm down, that's basically what's happening. So we know for sure we're not changing anything structurally. Like we're not lengthening our tissues. We're not breaking up any scar tissue, any adhesions. Unless you have the scalpel, we're not breaking up anything. Um, but what we are doing is we are changing that point of reference almost, and we're kind of decreasing that that muscle guarding and that that pain response um, through through pressure or through whatever modality you choose to use. Yeah, no, that's a that's a really good example, and I know that makes a lot of sense to me. And I know the listeners will probably grasp onto that. Thank you for pain science was one of my questions. And I, I am very well aware that a lot of these topics, especially for yourself, because you're passionate, you could be podcasts within themselves. And there's so much to unpack. And um, yeah, it's always it can be challenging to, to sort of streamline things. But it is important to give context without simplification. So I do appreciate you you getting into that. And I think, like you said, with the analogy of the, the baseball bat or, you know, turning the volume up and down, it's really good. I was thinking also of like ankle weights when you put those on and jump and then you take the ankle weights off and you're like, wow, or you like you run on sand versus then you run on concrete with shoes and you, you get this different perception. So like you said, you're changing that reference point. I think that's really, really critical. 
and in terms of the emerging research with pain science it is it it would appear like it is very much like alice in wonderland and going down the rabbit hole for a for a lack of better uh, better better metaphors etc um in terms of the, the one alice real no, quick, on. the one thing i do want to say and i think it's important to note along the same theme of of I you know I can't I can't talk in the beginning about not being married to a certain concept and then mm-hmm. have this conversation and not also say that sometimes it is tissue damage. Yes. So you know yes. we know I, my my bias is definitely toward what we just talked about how this workload management and stress and sleep and all this, but sometimes it very well is tissue damage and sometimes the these things don't work and sometimes surgery is needed and sometimes medication is needed and. Um, so definitely I don't want, um, any of the listeners to think that it's, it's, it's never, you know, tissue damage. And it's always this, this multifactorial system with all these things floating around. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, sometimes it may be, but other times it may not be. So, um, you know, just, I want to make sure that it's, it's clear that it's, that's kind of my bias, but at the same time, I understand that it's not always Mm -hmm. as, um, Mm -hmm. it's not always that way. No, for sure. Sometimes it's clear cut. You know, if you your arms hanging off, you, you're going to need surgery uh, to a degree. But you're not going to you're not going to meditate and get that better. <laughs> no, un- unfortunately not. Um, <laughs> despite what the Japanese ninjas may have done, it does go so far. There's definitely again, there's there's a lot of interesting things. But uh, an important caveat, nonetheless. So with, with that, I talk a lot to another a good friend of mine and a practitioner who I work with, Dr. Nathan Kelly. Shout out if you're listening. He's your top man. Like yourself, young family. Very, very passionate about what he does. And we talk about how a lot of the time, you know, it is it is important to have that bias because a lot of people will get referred on, oh, you need surgery, you need this, you need these drugs, you need this medication. And a lot of the time we, you know, in unison and sometimes with other practitioners as well, we can avoid people getting surgery and we can save them a lot of pain, a lot of money, a lot of frustration. And it's a matter of just perhaps having a little bit of patience, identifying, you know, what's going on. And again, using some of these modalities uh, consistently over time to to get a result rather than actually going in there and and causing more stress. Because as you mentioned before, uh, which I think is a really critical point and i'll i'll re-highlight that i'll bring it back which is how stress in in all aspects because stress comes in many forms often and i know it's the same for me if i get a little bit stressed sleep could talk about that for hours if that is not on point again you mentioned you know when you had you, your daughter you, you're not going to be operating on all cylinders and sometimes that you know will very much expose any pain any weakness and it can almost magnify what you're feeling um and again sometimes it's not as true to okay like i'm it's not that bad but based on what's happening right now my lifestyle that is accentuated so i think that is a really important point to consider i know with working with clients myself one of my biggest challenges is always talking about stress and i emphasize lifestyle without working out of my scope I always say what happens in your lifestyle is a direct correlation to your success in the realms of training and nutrition. And if we do not address that, we're doing ourselves a disservice. Although they facilitate each other, sometimes you get someone moving better in the gym, they start eating better, they start sleeping more. Sometimes we've got to start there, but it is important to at least acknowledge what is happening outside and go, hey, well, let's make an effort. At least let's be aware of sleep, of rest, of recovery, of stresses, of family, 
all of these things, job, work, whatever it might be. Um, let's delve into, because I wanted to ask you as well, and, and maybe we, we, we address this and if you want to amalgamate it into the next question, you can, which I think we could do in terms of how you take that skill set now online to telehealth and how you're helping people identify and, and giving them, you know, key takeaways. Cause I imagine if you're not in person, you will have to say, Hey, like, this is what, you know, once you've perhaps made a diagnosis or an observation, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to do it. But also it seems to me, obviously I'm biased. There is a striking theme here that strength training is absolutely imperative for general health mobility and also longevity of life. And a lot of people fear, especially in older population, they think strength training, people think bone crushing weight. And it's like, no, 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 it's bone building or at least, you know, maintaining uh, at best. And I think that, again, there's a lot of stigma around that. So perhaps if you want to mention along with how that skill set translates to telehealth, the importance from your area of expertise of strength training and overall well-being and longevity. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's the foundation of everything. I think uh, just to, I mean, the evidence alone shows us that it's so much more than just, um, we, we call it strength training, but the benefits are seen even without increased strength. So mm. like if, mm. we, if we were to somehow take like a muscle and measure its, its brute force and go through weeks of strength training and measure the brute force again, if for some weird reason it didn't actually get physically stronger, there are so many other benefits to the act of strength training. Um, and we have good evidence to support that, especially in young women. Um, young women that, that strength train early in their athletic careers, they build some sort of resiliency. Um, they, they reach muscle failure. They, they, they um, develop this, this sort of, of resiliency um, through strength training. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I just wanted to highlight that, that strength training is, is so much more than just getting stronger. There's this whole whole process that that comes with it and and i think putting on different hats for me with working with you know professional bodybuilders and then working with a 90 year old woman who when she sneezes her two daughters are right next to her giving her a tissue you know and those two people are so different but they both need some sort of strength training so yeah i think it really just comes down to having experience talking and communicating with both of those types of people and really just listening and finding not, not preaching, you know, no one wants to be preached to, they want to be listened to. And, and I think with those that, you know, that hypothetical 90 year old patient, I think just listening and being understanding and showing that I understand what they believe. And, and if they say something like, well, I don't really want to, stand up from a chair holding a 10 pound weight because I think it's going to hurt uh, my back. My first thought is it's going to help your back. It's going to make you stronger. But I may say to her something like, um, you know, um, so if I'm understanding correctly, you're a bit hesitant to stand up with that weight because you feel like it may hurt your back. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I feel. So how come you feel like that? Just curious what makes you think that? And then, oh, well, you know, I just feel like it's going to do that. And my, my, my sister, uh, 30 years ago got hurt doing it. Okay. So your sister got hurt. And then you just kind of dive in here and then you start kind of slipping in 
some little pieces of, of education and you kind of ease into it like that. And then it, in my experience, as you go through that process, do you eventually get the person to do 10 sit to stands and then maybe they hold a weight and, and do something or, you know, take baby steps into it. Um, but I think it's important to, to not force anything on people and kind of take it at their pace even if that means in the first session or two, we're really not doing much, you know, we're really not doing much. And, and you may be sitting there hearing false narratives and hearing misbeliefs, and you may just be understanding and just be listening for, for the time being. And then when they are ready, once they have, we have that alliance built, then that's when we can kind of start, uh, you know, kind of getting into some of the education and things like that. And, and Alex, it's even, it's even, um, athletes too, you know, not only the older population, I'll have, I think my bias, like we said before, I think my bias is toward the whole pain science um, realm is because 99% of the people that come to me have the other mindset where they come in with low back pain and they say, Oh, I got low back pain because my hips are tight and my glutes are, are not activated or, Oh, you know, I have my shoulder hurts cause I got a rotator cuff tear. Okay like that, then I don't have a choice, but to kind of have that other bias at some point, because we have to, I'm always educating that other side. Cause I think, I think the very biomechanical approach is pretty much the mainstream um, thought. So that same tactic, not tactic, that same strategy that I use with the older patient, uh, I use with, with professional athletes. I mean, it's the same concept. If someone is married to a belief and it's worked for them in the past, right? Think about the old woman who doesn't stand up with a 10 pound weight. Well, my back isn't broken and I never stood up with a 10 pound weight. So obviously I'm doing the right thing or the professional athlete who says, um, you know, I get, um, I get crystal therapy on my knee three times a week and look at me like I'm a professional athlete and I'm doing well. So the crystal thing must be working. So it's hard. Sometimes it's the same approach. We have to just listen with empathy and offer our own beliefs knowing full well that we may be wrong ourselves. Um, so not that they're wrong and not that we're right, but somehow if we can meet in the middle and, you know, come up with a better, better solution, not my way or, or, or their way, some, something that works for all of us. Um, so that is a challenge is working with both spectrums of, of people. But I think at the foundation of it, it's really just listening and um, offering your knowledge, offering what you think, seeing what they think about it, I don't know how many times I, I ask people, what do you want to do? <laughs> like I'll say, here are some options that I'm thinking about. We could either um, increase a set or we could either decrease the depth or we could either increase the load. What do you think we should do? What is your body telling you that we should do? What do you think? And then they'll tell me, I think we should do this. Okay, let's do it. You know, so I'm not always the one calling the shots. Usually it's a team effort. Um, and it's easier that way because they, no one knows their body better than, better than they do. So sometimes it's good to get, um, to hear the person and listen to them because they have great insights that maybe you may have missed or maybe don't know. Yeah. Well, as you said there, Nick, which was well put, it, it is a case of having empathy and it could just be a conversation initially, which it generally should be. I know with myself again, to really help someone you need more than the surface level information. Like I really like to, with the way I've developed my business and continuing on 
really like to sit down with people or if I can't, you know, I'll, I'll get a phone conversation because I want to, I start to build a picture. So first I think it's important to create report and trust by it might be just speaking about them, their background, their beliefs, all of those things. And then, like you said, you start to ask these almost like better questions. And then you start to slip in some knowledge whatever it might be. I know over time that gives you an ability to go, okay, well now I'm kind of building a bit of a picture, getting a little bit more information. And now I'm able to offer better pieces of advice or you're starting to go, Oh, actually I thought this, but now with that information, now it's this. And, and like you said, it's not anything over complex. It's simple. And that really correlates to the next question I had, which is, you know, keeping things simple. Like for example, when athletes or, you know, gym goers do go to the gym and they have these, you know, uh, injuries or they're, you know, whether it's acute or chronic pain or whatever it might be, like what, what, it, what is the process to keep it simple? And I don't know if you have any key takeaways, perhaps the listeners say, for example, they're experiencing some pain or they're having some limited range of motion, like what are maybe some steps to take leading into, you know, when do I need to go and see a practitioner? What are things that I can do myself aside from foam rolling? Again, I know it's multifaceted, but if you could offer some key takeaways for people, what, what would you sort of have their frame of mind be and perhaps some steps to take rather than just going to the extreme sometimes or just going, Oh, well, you know, I can't do this. Um, which as you mentioned earlier, again, very salient point. Oftentimes I'm the same people go, Oh, I got to rest. I'm like resting completely can most of the time do more harm than good. So it's about working around the issue, which can surprise a lot of people. Yeah. I think this is a, a really, really great question and a really important conversation. And because this is where this is the, and this is where the, the meat and potatoes here. So what do we do? How do we, how do we have, if I have pain, what do I do? And I think the number one thing here is to make sure that we rule out red flags first. So things like um, uh, numbness, tingling, um, pain that is constant, pain that can't be reproduced, pain that can't be um, improved. So if you can't really, if it's just kind of got a mind of its own, it's like this dull, achy type pain that doesn't really, can't really make it hurt as opposed to like someone like, Every time I do a dumbbell bench press and bring my arm in a certain range of motion, I get my pain. That's very different than someone who says, nah, it feels good when I train, but it kind of randomly hurts and it wakes me up at night and I just can't, it doesn't, that's a whole different, whole different animal. Um, so any kind of constant pain, um, any kind of numbness, tingling, any kind of uh, fever, right? If you have, any, if you notice any kind of fever, obviously nowadays with COVID, everyone is aware of a fever, but. Um, you want to make sure of these things and that's when you want to go see a healthcare provider, possibly get some imaging done, make sure there's no funny business like a fracture or God forbid a tumor. Um, once we rule out those red flags, then we can have this conversation about different ways to work around pain. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I would, my first message would be that, um, you're not broken. Um, you in any aspect of life they're going to be hard times. You're going to be flying high, feeling great. You get married by a house, you're making good money. And then all of a sudden a family member dies. And then it's like, Whoa, like, you know, what just happened or, or something else tragic happens. And there's a big turn of events in your life. 
it's those times that we learn the most about ourselves, about our loved ones, about anything that we're experiencing. We don't learn, in my experience anyway, we don't learn as much when things are going well. But when things are going bad, things are going badly, you have a fight with your significant other or you have you lose your job. Those are times for innovation. Those are times for looking deep inside you and trying to figure out what can I do? What is it about me? Why did this argument happen today? What, what, what ticked me off so much, right? That, inter, that looking internally doesn't happen when things are do, going well because you're the man when things are going well, right? When training is going well and you're hitting PRs, you're not ever, you don't ever stop and consider the things that you would stop and consider when you're injured. So I challenge you if you are injured to somehow see the silver linings that are about to happen. Let's take the lockdown, for example, the worldwide lockdown. Um, obviously, it was not uh, a good thing by any means. However, there were people around the world that couldn't go to the gym and ended up finding ways to train at home, whether it be split squats holding a case of water on their shoulders, whether it's doing pull-ups from a tree outside, whether it's doing walking lunges around the block, maybe it's trying a different exercise. Maybe they looked up something on YouTube and that forced them to find a different resource that they never knew existed. All of these things during hard times are, are, are times when we grow and we learn more about ourselves. So taking it back to injury, when we have some kind of injury, we have to figure out what's causing this. What is triggering this? Is it a load thing? Is it a volume thing? Is it a range of motion thing? Is it an exercise selection thing? Is it just an overuse thing? Um, so real quickly, just kind of glance over those things. Um, let's take a squat, for example. If someone um, starts, you know, ha has pain when they uh, squat heavier, so they get to failure around like five or six reps, but they may feel great if they go to failure around like 12 to 15 reps then it's a load thing. So something about the load is what's triggering this pain. Other times it may be, well, when I squat past 90 degrees, that's when it really gets me. Um, but if I squat just above 90 degrees, it feels great. Okay. Seems like a range of motion type thing. Um, it may be, like I said, an exercise selection thing. So maybe the, it's just been too much over and over again of the same exact movement pattern. It's kind of a, a catch 22 here because it's protective to do the same movement pattern over and over again because you get more resilient you get more skill doing it you get stronger doing it and that's protective in and of itself but then there's also the the possibility of getting these overuse type aches and pains so sometimes it's just a matter of changing from a low bar squat to a high bar squat or throwing a heel lift under your heels right and just kind of changing the movement pattern ever so slightly just to change the way that the forces are distributed on your tissues. Um, so that's the first thing I would, I would, I would, um, I would, I, well, I guess the second thing after the ruling out red flags, I would try to find the characteristics of this pain. What's causing it? Wh when does it bother you? If it's something as simple as the examples that we used, beautiful. Now we have some things to work with. So if it's that load uh, trigger, then maybe we just hang up with some high reps for now. And we, at least we're still getting a training effect. 
we're still loading the tissue. We're doing the exact same pattern of the squat. So we're still gaining skill from it. It's just not heavy. But then we can gradually expose ourselves into that heavy load again. So if we're doing four sets for, to 12 to 15, maybe we do four, three sets of 12 to 15 and then one set a little bit heavier and then see how we tolerate that and then do the same thing the next week. And then maybe we do two sets of higher reps and two sets of heavier, you know, or lower reps. And we kind of ease into it like that. And then we're taking these baby steps back to where we want to go. And if it's ever not tolerated well, then we just take one step back and we, we load that where we were. And then we try to progress a little more. Same thing with a range of motion thing. We may throw a box behind us or a bench and sit back to a bench and just kind of limit the depth of our squat. That may do the trick. Um, and then we kind of gradually expose ourselves to that um, goal squatting pattern without the box. How we said, maybe we do one set without the box, three sets with the box. Um, but that is where I come in. So that is where a professional like, like me would come in and I would, again, talk about everything that, that we've been talking about, dive into you as a whole, and then we can come up with these different solutions. I can give you different suggestions when it's not quite as simple as when I squat past 90 degrees, I have pain. And when I don't, I don't, um, cause sometimes it's not that simple, but sometimes it is, but uh, that's where I would come in. And that's where that would be the best case scenario is if someone comes to me and says, Nick, um, this is my weekly split. Um, I, I started developing pain here. It seems like it seems like a range of motion thing. When I hit depth, I start to get pain, but I love, I love your, you know, your help on this to help guide me. That is a beautiful setup to me being able to help that person the most that I can. Um, so I guess the main thing would be number one, rule out red flags and then try to figure out some characteristics of the pain and see if you can try to find certain things that trigger it. Um, you know, it may be as simple as changing from a barbell curl to a dumbbell curl and maybe that elbow pain goes away. And then we kind of gradually expose ourselves back into, um, back into the movement that we want. And of course our goals are important too. So I'm a, a bodybuilder. So hypertrophy is my main goal. So whether I do split squats or a leg press, I'm not really concerned with that. So, but if I'm a power lifter, then that's a different, you know, a different conversation because then I'm going to want to be training specifically to what I want to do. But um, those are all kind of, you know, different, different circumstances, but yeah, basically I would rule out red flags and then try to find some characteristics of the pain that we can modify and, and work with. Mm. Now that, uh, that makes sense. That makes sense. And it, it sounds like it's a, again, very much case of very sound problem solving and you know, can we do this? No. Yes. Cool. Maybe. All right. All right well, what can we do? Okay. Can we do this? All right. So can we do a derivative of this? Okay. But we can't do that, but we can kind of do it this way. And sort of you, you've got this, um, that's like your roadmap, if you like, or your compass. And then based on that, as you said, sometimes it does require a deeper skill set, but oftentimes it seems, you know, as we, we wanted to answer is, is keeping it simple and not necessarily overthinking or overlooking things that we can already do, or perhaps variations of what we can right. already do. Yeah, I know for me, like you said, with um, being, uh, it's not through the good times that we learn it through the bad. And I say that with clients as well. The clients who are just injury free, they just, they adhere, everything's just bang, bang, bang. I'm like, it, as much as that's good, and they are great, uh, love them, but they don't really make you a better practitioner. It's the 
the clients who come and challenge you and they're very complex or they have a lot of injuries or a lot going on in the psychological realms and they really challenge you and grow your skill set. And I do embrace those clients. Now, obviously there's a time and a place where it's like, okay, this is just not something I can do. But for the most part, it is, and it just really tests you and it allows you to grow a lot and really, you know, perhaps take out some of the tools in the old tool belt that you haven't used for a while, or perhaps add new tools in there as well, which I think is important to, to realize for any coaches and, and practitioners listening that you shouldn't shy away from challenges. Again, as long as you're not working too far out of your scope, it's important to kind of have a broader range or at least a bit of foresight so you can communicate with your other professionals and perhaps, you know, what I, what I like to call bridging the gap between them, because otherwise if, if, if you're just so, you know, tunnel visioned, I think that's, that's a little bit narrow minded. And also you're not able to communicate with other practitioners and say, Hey, look, like this is what's been going on. This is what I think happening. I don't know. This is why we're referring to you. This is what I've been doing. So you have this beautiful sort of warm handover and then you as the professional in that realm can go, Hey, like, great. This is really good. I already have this information and I'm able to now help this patient much better and much more efficiently. But you and were going to say something, Nick. I was going to, it works the opposite way as well. So if I refer my patient back to that, that clinician or back to that trainer or that coach, it's going to be the work the same way. I'm going to say, Hey, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? I'm not going to say, look, my, I'm Dr. Nick and gosh, darn it. This is what we're going to do. I'm going to say, look, here's, here's what I'm thinking. What do you think? Let's come up with a plan together. Um, if we refer to an orthopedic or, or, or a doctor, you know, another doctor in a same idea, we're going to say, Hey, you know, this is what I'm finding. What do you think? And then they would have the same communication with us. And it really helps just like you said, bridge that gap among professions because, as a patient, you don't want to be bounced around to different people and tell your story again. And one hand doesn't know what the other hand is doing. And it's just not, it's just not good care. And that's, that's what we're all in this for, right. To help, help the person. So yeah, I think, I think it's good that, uh, that we're having these conversations and that walls are being brought down and communication is being improved. And, and, uh, yeah, man, I think, I think this is one of the good things about social media and, uh, is that, you and I, you know, can connect over something like Instagram. And, and, um, you know, I think it's, it's, there are many good things about this type of connection and communication, uh, a lot of bad things too. But um, mm -hmm. I think it's really cool that the world that we live in today, it's, it's never been easier to communicate among, among professionals. Absolutely. I think teamwork makes the dream work in many respects to summarize. Now I know we're, we, we've done, we've done well for time here, Nick, but there is another question and we're going to try and sort of put them all together in one. It's a big one. So what we'll do is perhaps we'll just have a look at a few key takeaways. Cause I know that there's probably a lot that we could talk about. Perhaps this is um, appropriate that we need a, a bit of a round two. Um, but it is, um, the correlations between what I, what I'll, I'll, I'll frame it like this, Nick, from being a father, a professional bodybuilder, which we've, we've not really gone into, which I would have liked to go into more. And obviously, again, being more of a father and juggling, what are the, the correlations, do you think, or what are the lessons learned between, you know, being a practitioner, being a bodybuilder, being a, you know, a father, husband, 
um, and some of the the skill sets or the lessons learned and even mistakes between them and what have hey, perhaps you taken from those experiences or because again, there's so many things I imagine, what are the things that come to mind that you've drawn out of those experiences and how have they helped you as a practitioner, as a person, and perhaps how have they helped your clients, the people listening, perhaps they can, they can resonate and, and take something positive away as well before we get onto the, the rapid fire questions. Yeah, I would say uh, be okay with being imperfect. Um, there have been a, there's been a lot, uh, there was a long time when I would get down on myself because I wasn't, uh, perfect in every aspect of my life. Then I realized I don't think anyone is. <laughs> so all we can do is try our best. And I think, uh, when it comes to doing anything, um, great or anything that is, mm, you know, not the normal nine to five, wake up, go to work, come home, watch Netflix, drink a beer and go to sleep. <laughs> um, if you want to do something that you're passionate about, there, there is no perfect day. There's no perfect way to do it. Um, there's, you have different roles, no matter how you swing it, you have different roles. So if you, sometimes I like to think of it like a tightrope. Um, or like, uh, like an airplane flying. So an airplane doesn't stay on one path the entire time. I mean, what do I know? I, don't, I know nothing about airplanes, but I'd imagine that it waxes and wanes and goes this way, that way, and then eventually gets to where it wants to go. Same thing on a tightrope. I would imagine that there are some small perturbations one way, small perturbations the other way, but the person doesn't fall off. So for me, I kind of look at it like that, where if I have a weekend coming up where it's my daughter's first birthday, and then the day after that, it's my, I don't know, my mom's birthday. I know damn well that I'm not going to be writing a blog that weekend. So I plan ahead, right? So I try to, try to manage my time or not manage my time, but I try to look ahead and, and understand that this time coming up is going to be spent with my family. And if I'm going to make that decision, I want to be 100% there. I don't want to be physically there and have my mind thinking about a blog I want to write or, or a podcast I have coming up or something like that. I want to be 100% there because then what happens otherwise is if I am, um, uh, if I'm physically there, but mentally not, then what I'm doing is I'm, I'm being, I'm being less productive in both of those things because I'm only thinking a little bit about the thing I have to do. Uh, and I'm only being a little bit present with my family. So really nothing is getting done. If I would just forget about the other thing and focus on my family, then at least we would have a net gain of, of good family time. Um, same thing, uh, the other direction is where if I know I have a lot building up, um, coming up to a certain weekend or coming up to a certain week, I'll sit down with my wife and I'll say, look, um, this is what I have coming up. When would be the best time for me to take some time for myself to get these things done. I'm guessing I would probably need X amount of time. When would be best? When are you able to, um, you know, take the baby and, and be with her without my help? When, when would be best to do this? And then, you know, she may say, well, I wanted to do run to this store that time. So is it okay if you do it then? So that communication is key because otherwise you can just end up just being in your own world. And then that, 
lack of communication maybe builds to resentment, right? So um, I think what it comes down to is just trying to plan out, you know, get your roles, get your things that you want to do, all of your goals, be a father, be a husband, um, be a good son, be a good brother, be a good physical therapist, be, you know, any, any kind of role that you have floating around. And then um, just make sure that if you put time to one, uh, you want to put time to other things too. And I think it just comes down to planning, um, you know, what's about to come, being organized, being very organized um, and communicating with all the stakeholders in all of those roles. Um, because someone would really appreciate a phone call, you know, just saying like, Hey, I would really like to come see you today, but I'm not really able to. So I want to just give you a call and tell you, I'm thinking about you, you know, whether it's a parent or someone like that. Um, so those things go a long way. Um, but like I said, don't plan to be perfect and, and just accept that things are going to be imperfect and just try to learn as much as you can when you have a lot of things to juggle, a lot of different roles to juggle. Yeah. Now some great key points there for, for everyone, I think, including myself, communication as well, just on that one couldn't agree more it's it will make or break single-handedly uh if you if you ask my if my wife if my wife was here right now she would say who are you and what did you do with my husband (laughs) (laughs) yeah we've all got to uh practice what we preach yeah that's for sure don't we it's it's easy but like you said (laughs) it's the it's on that you know humanizing or dehumanizing if you will that i think a lot of the time one of the the one of the best things about what I get to do with this podcast and speak to people around the world is that I want to create a, a way or a lens of which people get to see, you know, yourself, other practitioners, other peers, other humans, that they are human, that it's not about being perfect. And it's not perhaps what you see through the plastic on your screen and how you know, we all make mistakes and we're not perfect and we've all got stuff going on. Or as one of my favorite quotes goes, we're all facing an internal battle that no one knows anything about. And I think that is really, really vital for people to get their head around in this overfiltered area where sometimes things are made out to be something they're not. And I was actually talking about that on my latest vlog, how you know, it's the same with success. And a lot of people who are transparent about it say, you know, like it's it's not it's not rosy all the time. Like there's, there's a lot of challenges and there's a lot of adversity or there's a lot of like, it might seem polished on the surface, but there's a lot of clutter that has gone on or does go on on the back end or things you don't see. And I think that's, it's great when people are very honest about that and they, they, uh, they openly share it because I think it creates a more realistic expectation for people who are perhaps striving for similar success or even just knowing that, Hey, it's don't try and achieve like, what I'm trying to achieve specifically, like you might be in the same field and sure, like go for it, but you know, run your own race, build your own story and, um, and then endeavor to, to do it in a way which is individualistic to you without rewriting the wheel. So I appreciate you sharing that, Nick. Um, before my final question, which I ask all my guests, I have some more fun rapid fire questions. Again, it's, it's kind of a little bit slapstick, but again, it, it shows a little bit more personality uh, from you. And my first one is, uh, my one of my favorite questions, which is, if you could choose a superpower, any, and you can make one up, what would it be and why? Whew. I would, I would like to time travel. I would like to time travel and just observe, not not uh, affect anything. I don't want to, you know, change anything. I just want to observe. 
because I've always loved history and um, it just fascinates me sometimes. Like if I go to a museum and I like see like some, like, uh, you know, uh, George Washington's coat or like uh, an, an ancient like tool, I could stare at it for like a half hour <laughs> and just like try to imagine like who made this? Like what, what did it feel like when it was on? Like what, did, you know, like how many like horses did he ride where, you know, like I just think about all that. So I know this is rapid fire and I'm, I'm not, I'm explaining too much, but I would probably want to time travel because I'm just fascinated by history. And, um, and I like, I like learning, I think from the past too. So that's probably why. Yeah, no, these are, these rapid fire are certainly, um, ironically very thought provoking and they can elicit some really big conversations, but yeah, that's a, that's definitely a good one. And, and one, I think a lot of people would, would like, because it would answer a lot of questions. I think a lot of the questions in the future are hidden in the past and vice versa. It's that sort of inception feeling Uh, my second one then is if you could invite one to three people at dead or alive for dinner, who would you choose? And, and once again, why that whatever comes to mind, this is a, hmm. it's, it's a big one. Um, I would say my favorite author is Stephen Covey. Um, just because he's passed away. So I would say I probably want him there. Um, Hmm. I would like to also sit down with, Nelson Mandela and and I would love to talk to him and then let's see my last guest um hmm my last guest would probably be hmm I'm trying to think of like the famous like people who people would think but maybe I would want to sit down with like um like my grandfather or like uh, my great grandfather who maybe i never met and just Mm -hmm. kind of see like how it all happened like they came over on a boat like what did you have like when was my grandfather born how did my grandfather meet my grandmother like all questions that that don't have answers about my own family history maybe maybe that would be cool yeah i think that's a lot of that that is right under the nose of everyone everyone forgets everyone goes to the big names but oftentimes it's just one going back in your own bloodline would be phenomenal, you know, and speaking to someone that you've never met, but is part of, you know, that, um, that creed, if you will. And then again, a couple of other people left field, even if it's not someone super famous, if someone had been around for that long and and lived in different eras, you know, you're going to learn something. It's going to be an interesting conversation, despite the dynamics that might go on around the table <laughs> as well, which would be interesting. But again, it's nice to indulge in these fantasies, that's for sure. On my last question, my last rapid fire question, Nick, is if you could write a small blurb, post, i.e. or picture that would be put on social media and it would be marketed and it would get in front of absolutely everyone who has social media, they would definitely see it. The marketing is completely free, but it's going to get on everyone's iPhone, Android, laptop, whatever it is, Instagram, and, and people are going to see that. What, what would that blurb, quote, or picture be, that message that you'd want to deliver to the masses? I would say, um, listen, uh, listen with the intent to understand rather than to be understood. I think a lot of what we're dealing with in the world today can be 
solved or mitigated if people would just lower their guards, check their egos at the door, open, open their minds, and just listen to the other side, listen to what they have to say with the only intent to understand. And then when it's their turn, then they have the turn, they have their equal opportunity to speak and be understood. And then we can come together and kind of talk about something. So that's probably what I would say. Speak, um, I'm sorry, listen to, to understand rather than to be understood. And a, a great message, a great message indeed. And my last question, which I end my podcast with and ask all my guests, is a little bit more of a serious one, which is could we identify or could you identify a fear in your life that you've had? It can be big, it can be small. What that fear was how it helped you and how you overcame it, or if you're still working on it, what that is. My biggest fear is regret. My biggest fear is regretting um, not taking in every moment of my daughter's first year of being alive. My mm-hmm. regret, uh, fear of regretting not being the best husband that I could be to my wife. Um, fear of looking back and, and thinking that I could have... Um, you know, could have experienced things differently, or I could have been um, a better version of myself and one of my roles, like we're talking about. Um, so I think my fear is is perceiving that that I regret something, because obviously, we can't go back in time. And if, if I did go back in time, I would probably relive my life the same way. Because at the time, I made make decisions with the resources that we have and with the brain that we have at the time. So I think not that I actually would like, regret it but i think feeling regretful um and looking back someday i think that's probably my greatest fear so i try to live every day as if or at, at least if there's a big decision to be made i try to imagine myself down the road sitting on a rocking chair somewhere looking back on this moment and saying you know did i make the right choice and um and things like that even though that's impossible because that person is going to have a different uh, frame of reference than I do right now. But, um, yeah, that's, that, that would be my, my greatest fear. And I'm working on it every day, just like you said. So that's not a fear that I've overcome. I think that's going to be something that I work on forever. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a very appropriate way to uh, finish what's been a, a brilliant conversation, a wide ranging conversation. And of course, lots more that we can unpack as well. So once again, Nick, I really appreciate your time and, and thanks for sharing. But before we go, for people who are interested to learn more, perhaps people who want to get in contact, where's the best place to connect with you and perhaps learn more about what you do and uh, how you help other people? Absolutely. And thank you again for having me on. Like I said, I was real excited that you reached out and um, yeah, thank you for, thank you again for the opportunity. Um, best place I'm on Instagram, uh, Nick at Nick Licamelli, um, 3DMJ there, you know, their Instagram, all their social media, 3D muscle journey, uh, the number three letter D muscle journey.com. Um, my company website is strength together online.com. But anywhere, you know, my Instagram or 3DMJ, you can get funneled to any, any of my content. So any of those places are good. Yeah, for sure. And as always for the listeners and the viewers, I'll put all those links and social media handles well and truly in the show notes too. And I know a lot of people will be familiar, like you said, with a lot of those names and especially 3DMJ, certainly someone who's impacted my life and health and fitness endeavors very positively as well. So thank you again, Nick. I appreciate it. Absolutely. My pleasure. For everyone listening, thank you for your time. As always, if you've got something valuable to share or you've got a question, ask away. Make sure you tag us in. 
leave a rating and a review if it's safe to do so, or if you haven't already done so, we really appreciate it. Helps the channel grow, helps more people connect and indulge in this knowledge as well. And if you are watching on YouTube, you already know the drill. Like, comment, and subscribe. And of course, until the next episode, in the meantime, stay fearless. Thank <laughs> you.